Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. And love being back in Sydney. Great, great place. I uh, actually spent some time in Adelaide. I used to live there and we kind of had this love-hate relationship with every other state. Victoria mostly, we didn't like. Was it Kicker Vic, we used to say, or Dire Victorian Scum, or something like that. But, um, but we, did like, we did like the Kiwi, uh, the, the Kiwis. We did like the guys from the New South Wales. And uh, it's just great to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity just to come and share uh, for the guys wherever you've come from. I trust this evening will be helpful. I, I, I think it's good to get together. It's recognizing the church, not our church, the church, and I, I know it's way bigger than this, and I know we're just a part of it, but there is something that happens when the church gets together representing Christ together, and it doesn't matter about how many people are here, it's what God wants to do, is doing, and recognizing that we represent an incredible kingdom here on this earth, and recognize that we all have a role to play in this amazing work that He's called us to. I love that we get to serve with each other. But we also all get to play our role in serving the King together. And uh, it's not about a chosen few in this room. It's about everybody understanding God uses, as we keep saying, ordinary people. And I, I confess I'm probably the most ordinary in this room. I mean that sincerely. But God, in His wisdom, picks ordinary and says, I'm going to use you ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And because we serve a God who's extraordinary and and that's the joy for us all. So I appreciate the in- intro. Uh, whenever we get asked the same thing, numbers, I mean, how do you count? You know what's interesting? We count success, but God weighs success. Let me tell you, when the end of time comes for all of us, God's not going to pull out His calculator. I know He's God, so He doesn't need a calculator. But He's not going to take out His calculator and add up. How many people in the church and how many people did you lead to the Lord? And how? He's going to take, I believe, his scales and he's going to weigh how much of Jesus, how much of Jesus is in who we are and what we've given our lives to. How much of Jesus? And I want to ask you that this evening. How much of Jesus is in who we are? And, you know, I've never been asked that. I go to conferences, I get asked to speak, and I've never been asked how much of Jesus is in what you're doing. I always get asked how many churches and how many people, and and we've got something wrong. We think worldly. We've got to get back to thinking biblically. Numbers matter, but weighing matters more. And so I do just trust that that's our passion. That's our desire. We, We want to be more like Jesus We want to represent Jesus to this world. We want people to see Christ in us. Christ in us is the hope of glory. We're not the hope of glory. The church is not the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory for the nations. And so more of Him, I trust, and less of us would be the key. So I'm sure you would all agree that the need of our time is authenticity. It's the greatest need for today, I think globally, certainly in the United States, but I also think here in Sydney, Australia, we are looking for authenticity. People want reality. They want authenticity, not concepts, not theories. Can I suggest not even theologies that make no sense? People want authenticity. It's probably the greatest need of our time. And I, I think our artificial, artificial fixations probably best illustrated 
by the guy who tried to get rid of mice in his house. He bought a mouse trap, but realized he had no cheese. And so to overcome the problem, he cut out a picture of cheese from a magazine. He loaded the trap with an artificial cheese, and he went to bed. And he woke up early the next morning and wondered what had happened. And he checked the mousetrap the following morning, and he was quite surprised that he found a picture of a mouse in the trap. <laughs> and the point I'm trying to make, friends, is a counterfeit lifestyle will always produce artificial results. And I want to say that my dad used to drum into us as a young age, if you want New Testament results, if you want biblical results, if you read through the book of Acts and long for the results of what happened in the book of Acts, then we've got to build with New Testament pattern. Because whatever we're building with, whatever we're doing, that will be the decider of the results. We need authenticity. We need to be real we need to build the way God intended, sticking to the pattern of God if we want to have the kingdom results that He's called for us to have. And I love reading through the book of Acts. How many of you enjoy the whole Bible? Put your hand up. How many of you know the whole Bible is important? All those books that make no sense, they matter. But I want to tell you, I love reading through the book of Acts. And if I could challenge you this evening, read all of the Bible, but keep going back to the book of Acts. Keep reading because in my perspective, the book of Acts is something of this work in action, the gospel in action, church planting, empowered by the Holy Spirit, people working together, praying together, taking cities. We, we talk about revival, and I'm all for revival, and I want revival, but I, I think a lot of what we call revival today is not biblical revival. See, revival is not just the church having awesome Holy Spirit meetings where God meets with us. Revival must result in changed lives. It must also result in a changed city. Cities should be different because of what God does in us. The early church was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it didn't just stay together in 120 upstairs having Holy Spirit encounters. There was this outpouring, and the church changed, but because of the church changing, the city was different because of what God was doing. I read some of the history of the church and the revivals, something like the Hebridean revivals, and, and pubs were closing down, and police stations were closing because there was no more crime. That's something of what God, I believe, wants to do again and again. It's not just have encounters, but the church on the move, taking God to the streets and revealing to the world that Jesus Christ is alive and well demonstrating and proving and watching people's lives being changed. And, and so I love to read through the book of Acts and see what happened there and not long for what happened there. I want to walk in more of what God does. And, but I'm challenged when I read through the book of Acts. It, it's, it, it's, it, it challenges me. The Word of God is a mirror, not just a book of stories. It's a mirror, and it's God speaking to us. And when I read through the book of Acts, I'm challenged. Some truths that challenged me from the book of Acts. Can I just throw a few out to you? God reigns. Despite our circumstances, God reigns, is what I see in the book of Acts. Another thing that challenges me is that without His presence and power, we can do nothing. Another thing I see in the book of Acts is God wants his church to grow. 
believe it or not. He's not anti-growth. He's not consumed with growth, but he's not anti-growth, but he wants his church to grow. And we see that in the book of Acts. So if that's there, then we've got to trust for similar things in what we're involved in. Can I also say that when you read through the book of Acts, you see the people in the church were willing to work hard. Not in flesh, but there is cost to what we're involved in. And they were willing to work hard and beg God to intervene on their behalf. There's our function, and then there's the God function. and We've got to work together. It's not up to Him. and I, It's us doing our part, but trusting God to intervene. I wonder how much of you and I, how many times are we trusting for God to intervene? Break in God. Break into our situation. Break into what we're doing. As we give ourselves to what you've called us to, would you break in? We're leaning on you. We're praying. We're crying out. I wonder if we even pray. Well, I'll pray when I'm in need. Well, what about when you're not in need? I'm not, I'm not here, to, honestly, to, to, to make us feel bad, but the church, God's looking for His church to structure itself again back to how God intended. And prayer is so strategic. Prayer is a privilege, not a price. We get to speak to this God, this God who spoke things and it happened, created us, the creator of all. We get to speak to Him and hang out with Him and connect with Him and cry out. And I love what someone said, that prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. We are weak, but He's strong. When we pray, we're asking God to intervene on our behalf. And we see that right through the book of Acts. Another thing I want to say is that a praying church is unstoppable, according to what I see in the book of Acts. Another challenging thing from the book of Acts is that the church had to let go of the comfortable and the familiar in order to fully follow Jesus and advance His gospel. Another thing I can say is that the message of the church was Jesus. Nothing political, nothing social. In actual fact, they didn't try and legislate morality. Simply they preached Jesus. How the church today can learn. Another thing is that the church was passionate about seeing people coming to Jesus. It's not just for the evangelists and those who are wired that way. The church was passionate about seeing people getting saved, coming to Christ, and knowing Jesus Christ. That's why it's challenging to read the book of Acts. Another thing about the book of Acts is it shows us that the crowd's opinions always change. Church leaders knew that things and people's opinions changed. And so they weren't focused on opinions. They were focused on Jesus. And for me, the big thing I see from the book of Acts is this. If Jesus isn't setting us on fire, then the fire will go out. Are you there? Lovely truth, lovely books, lovely things, challenging. And we can learn. If we want New Testament results, then we must build with New Testament patterns. And I still believe, friends, and I I guess you know what's coming this evening, but I still believe the greatest battlefront in the church today and in the kingdom of God is the truth about Jesus Christ. It's the biggest battle we face in the kingdom is the truth and the reality of who Jesus Christ really is. And this evening, I want to just take a few moments and I want to hopefully simplify 
something of the understanding for all of us on the centrality of Jesus Christ. Living and understanding the centrality of Christ. He's center of it all. It's about Him. And I know we know this, but do we live this? Because for the future God's intended for us, we need the revelation of the centrality of Christ. He's center of it all. Not just in church life, in lives, in people, in ministries, in marriages, in raising. We need the centrality of Christ to come back. I want to say the most revealing thing about the church today is our truth and our understanding about Jesus. If you truly want to know what we're about, if you truly want to know where we're at, then we need to ask people, what do they say about Jesus Christ? It's the greatest revealing truth about the church. And us is our ideas of Jesus. You would get interesting ideas if you ask people. If you ask people out there like Jesus did, and when he asked his disciples in Matthew 16, what are people out there saying about me? They got some interesting responses. Great dude, doing some good stuff, a prophet, some good guy, some teacher, some philosopher. I mean, it's all out there. And it's right across New South Wales here in Sydney. Everybody's got an opinion or a perspective. And that's great, But what about in the church? Because Jesus took that response and changed it. He wasn't that concerned about what people were saying. He then said, well, what about you, my followers, my church? Who do you say that I am? And as we read in Matthew 16, Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God, you're the deity, you're not a wannabe God, you're not an image, you're not a wannabe, you're not trying to be, you are God. You've seen God, you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. It's so important, and that's when he understood who he was. Because then Jesus said, now that you know who I am, I'm going to tell you who you are. And from then, he begins to unpack this amazing church that he's building, but it's built on the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, I know we know this, but it's so strategic for the church because we get so busy doing stuff for God. We get so busy in ministry. We get so busy doing life and attending church and attending meetings, but we lose that If we haven't secured and continually go back to the revelation and centrality, it all revolves around Jesus. The most revealing thing about us, the church, is found in our ideas of Jesus. The best way to describe this is that our Christology determines our missiology. And our missiology determines our ecclesiology. Doesn't that sound impressive? (laughs) Let me explain to you people from New Zealand what that means. No, I'm joking. What that simply means is this, and friends, this is so important, that our revelation of Christ determines our mission. And our mission shapes the church. But if we're honest, this is how we do things. Oh, we're the church. So we get together and we begin to say, well, we're the church. And then we think, gee, we've got a mission. We've got to do something with these people. So let's send them on a mission to Africa or to Asia. Or let's get them on a plane somewhere. Let's go get them to do something or go feed. We better find a mission for them. And then we begin to think, oh, yes, yeah, Christmas now and it's Easter. We better talk about Jesus again. And we got it all mixed to best up. If we get the revelation of Jesus, if we live with the revelation of Jesus, then we will automatically understand our mission. And the mission will determine what the church is. The mission should shape our church, not 
the church shape our mission, and then we tag Jesus on. Does that make sense, friends? And that's why I think that when the devil gets us to forget about Jesus or to shrink our vision of Christ or forget about the whole thing and we get busy with mission and we're doing mission and the church is, we've got to come back to the Christology, how we view Jesus. We don't then need people shouting and screaming to motivate us on mission. When we see Christ for who He is and when we walk with Jesus, we live mission and the church functions in what God intended the church to function in. Focus on Christ. He will focus us on mission, and our mission will shape our church. And that's what I'm contending for, and I trust that's where you're at too. Colossians, quickly, chapter 1, and I know well-worn text, but I want to read this, and then I'm going to try and illustrate what I'm saying this evening quickly. Colossians, chapter 1, verse 13, says this, For He, Jesus, has rescued us. You rescued this evening. That's awesome. Even if you don't feel rescued, you are. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom, saved out of and brought into. So important. And as I said yesterday or whenever it was, and some of you were here, it's more important what we saved into than what we've come out of. Some of us always want to talk about our history, and I was such a bad dude, and I was a druggie, and I did this and this, and then I got saved. Yeah, and then, more important, what are you in, not what did you come out of? We're going to rave about what we're in, not what we came from. We've been rescued out, and we're not just rescued to hang around and go to heaven one day. You've been taken out of this world, and you've been saved into this kingdom, the kingdom of God, friends. We've been rescued. So He's rescued us, and He's brought us into the kingdom transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, the Son, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through Him and for Him. How many of you believe He's important? Everything revolves around Him. He holds us together. It's for Him. It's about Him. It's because of Him. He is important in it all. He re- read on and it says this. Uh, uh, where do we say? Oh, sorry, there. Verse 17. He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything. Can you say everything? Everything Everything means everything. Not some things, most things, all things. Everything. So that in everything, He might have supremacy, preeminence, first place. Not some fancy word that we love to, first place. Jesus has been given first place in everything. Now this is where it gets a little bit awkward for all of us, because I believe that in many lives, Jesus is prominent. Many churches, he's prominent. He has a place. 
But I don't necessarily think that in most churches, most lives, he has first place. Correct. And I'm not standing here lecturing you. I'm challenged by that truth because the Bible says he's been given first place in everything. He's the head of the church. I want to ask you this evening, honestly, is he first place in your life? Is he first place in the church? Is he f- That's the question because he's been given that, but is he been given that in our lives? How we see Christ determines how we live our lives. Determines what we give ourselves to. He will have first place in everything. See, only when Jesus is preeminent, I believe, will we find our significance. Only when Jesus is first place will we, the church, be significant. Until that, we're going to contend to find significance. But when He's first place, we find significance. Paul declares that everything finds its meaning and significance in Christ. Jesus Christ is the central theme and focus of everything we are and everything we'll ever be. Christ must be at the center of all things, both in our individual lives and in the church. We claim that He is, but is He? A.W. Tozer, I love to quote this man. He says this. Listen to this. He said many years ago, he said, The present position of Christ in most churches may be likened to that of, ki- of a king in a limited constitutional monarchy. The king is no more than a traditional rallying point, a pleasant symbol of unity and loyalty, much like a flag or a national anthem. He's admired, he's celebrated, maybe even supported, but his real authority is small. Nominally, speaking officially, but not in reality, he is head overall. But in every crisis, someone else makes the decision that Jesus would have first place in everything. The best way I can describe this, Joel, can you help me out, please? My son, Joel, in the house, thank you very much. It's going to make him do something here. I'm going to try, as I said, I'm a simple guy, and I'm going to try and be very simple to this evening in just the few moments that we have left. Some of you probably heard me share this. I make no apologies here. This is the best way I can describe this. Just this one. Thank you. Can you all see this? Uh, Should I tell you what it says? Sal, you know that? Can you spell that? Life. Life. Do you see that? Life. I'm not trying to be funny or tricky here. I'm trying to demonstrate the supremacy or the centrality of Jesus Christ. Life. Do you see that? I believe that this is how it works with the centrality of Jesus Christ, life. I want to take a moment and talk about life. Our lives matter to Jesus. This isn't some feel-good message. This is fact. We need to hear this this evening because there are some of us in this room who've probably had a horrific upbringing. Maybe some of you don't know your parents. Maybe some of you, some of you have been told you're a bad mistake. You should never have been born. You might have all, and I, I don't know where you're at this evening, but this I've got to tell you, your life matters to God. I've been incredibly blessed because I've been raised by parents who love me. I know who my parents are. They were followers of Jesus when I was born. And so I've been blessed. But some of you haven't experienced what I have. But this I've got to tell you, in God's economy, I am no different to you. 
In actual fact, I believe that if Jesus, if I was the only person on this planet, I believe Jesus would have come just for me. Now you say that's arrogance. It's not. It's understanding I am valuable to Him. Now, if I believe that, why can't you? What makes me different to you? We've got to get to this place of understanding the value of individuals not out there in this room because you can't give what you haven't got. If you can't understand your value, how do you make other people feel valuable? Are you there, friends? And so your life matters. It does matter. God cares. God is involved in the details of your life. In all of it, the nonsense, the good stuff, the bad. He knows about it. He cares about it. He's a father, a good, good father, perfect father. Even if your parents are not perfect, he is. And he needs you to understand. They need you to understand. We need us to understand the value of life. Your life matters. Even if you don't know your parents, even if you were born out of wedlock, even if whatever your story is, and there are horrific stories in this room, I'm sure, but you are not a mistake. You are valuable. God came and sent His Son just for you. There's a psalm that challenges me, Psalm 139. You know what it says? For you created my inmost being. Who? God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in a book before one of them came to be. That speaks of destiny, friends. That speaks of God's involvement. And I don't know how to explain it, but this I tell you, you matter, you're important, you were made with destiny, you were made with dignity, God values your life, you've been made with responsibility. Whatever people say, God says, I've ordained days for you that you've yet to walk in. That's destiny, not based on your performance, based on Him creating you. And we've got to get that in. And I think this is the biggest challenge for the church is that we don't believe God. We find it easier to believe what the world says about us or what we feel about us than what God who doesn't lie says about us. Are you there? And I'm shouting because we've got to hear this. Because the rest of it doesn't make sense if we don't get this. Some of us need to understand that value again this evening. Because how can you love others if you haven't loved yourself? Are you with me? And I'm sure you want to come to me after and say, Tyron, you don't understand my history. No, I don't, but he does. I can't help you, but he wants to help you. And somehow we've got to get back to believing. I am valuable. My worth's not in what I do. He created me, and God cares. And you and I were created with plan, destiny that has eternal ramifications here on earth and eternity in heaven. Do you believe you matter? Because your life matters to God. He delights in us. He gives us dignity, friends. He gives us destiny and purpose. And He gives us duty, responsibility. And so I want to say it is about us. Individuals. Get to that place that Jesus would have come just for me. I believe that. Honestly, I have to believe one or one million or one billion or seven billion He would have come. Because we matter.
to him. Yeah? So if you haven't amen that, you're not going to amen anything else. Because what I've told you, it's about you. I love what Winston Churchill said to this. He said, we make a living by what we get. But we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get. But we make a life by what we give. So while we've been created with purpose and destiny, don't just get. Let's be givers. Let's be responders. But God loves you. Jesus came for you. And I'm not telling you he has a plan for your life and 10 steps to victory and being champions. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you were created. God is a creator God and he's made us in his image. Do you know in Luke chapter 20 is the story when Jesus was questioned about paying taxes. Do you remember the story? In Luke 20 verse 20, and they were trying to catch Jesus out. And they were in front of the Roman gods. And they said, is it right for us to give our taxes to Caesar? And Jesus, brilliantly being Jesus, said, well, who has a denaria? Who has a coin? They gave it to him. They said, whose image is on this coin? Remember the story? And they said, Caesar's. Then they said, then he said, well, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But then he goes on, he says something even more profound, and give to God what belongs to God. And most of us, that means, well, give God your money. It doesn't mean that. It means give God everything. But how did they know that they needed to give to Caesar? Whose image was on the coin? Caesar's. Well, whose image are we created in? The image of God. And I'm absolutely convinced that God is on a mission to get that which belongs to Him, that which was made in His image, all seven billion people, including the few hundred in this room, to get that which belongs to Him back to Him in the right standing of the image He created us in. Are you there? It helps me when I'm witnessing on the streets that God's got this more than I want this. He's put a rescue plan in place. He put His Son on the cross to die on our behalf. He's on all mission to get right standing back with people with Him. Because He values us and your life matters. So the good news in this centrality of Christ is that your life matters. It's all about you. But now I'm going to tell you it's not all about you. Second thing. Your life, my life, I do believe, thanks Joel, is in the context. Can you read this cell? Two words, I'm not sure, probably not. Local church. Local church. Are are you with me? You'll note that I didn't just say church. There's there's a whole concept out there today that we're part of the church. We float around with the body of Christ, but we're not connected anyway. Isn't that brilliant? That's not what the Bible teaches. You see, God looks at our lives as valuable. And God so values our lives and so values that we're important that He links us into families. He puts us in local church. Oh, where's that, Tyron? In the Bible. People were saved into the church. Now, here's the thing, guys. I mean, we've got this movement out there that is anti-church but loves Jesus. Not possible. You can love the church and not love Jesus, but you can't love Jesus and not love His church. And with all due respect, you've got to be linked somewhere, placed somewhere, planted somewhere that you can grow. It's not for the church's sake, it's for our sake to be planted somewhere. So when God looks at my life, 
He sees value and dignity and all. But he sees my life in the context of a local church. Don't devalue how God sees our lives. Linked in family, in local church. Friends, we need to be planted in the house of God. And I don't know where you stand on all this, and maybe you're here this evening visiting, that's great. But you can't keep visiting the house of God. Somewhere you've got to be planted in His house. And if it's this church, and there's a few churches represented here, you better find a church God's called you to be, not the church floating, a local church where you're planted. And if you have a family, you better plant your family with you in that church. And let me just get into serious trouble here this evening and say this. Don't allow your children... To determine where you planted. Oh. <laughs> you know what, friends? If you were to buy a house as an investment and a place to live, surely you would buy a house without getting your two-year-old's perspective on the house. And I'll tell you why. Because wherever you buy a house, your two-year-old will fit in. Because it's an investment, and you have to make that decision of where we invest ourselves. And you wouldn't ask some baby or young person to decide what you're going to invest in. Why? Because they will flourish where you settle. Now, can I just say, honestly, I know that I'm getting in trouble. Good news for you is I'm flying out in the morning. I've got no skin in this game except to say you'll never grow if you're not planted. And if your kids are determining where you're planted, you've given your God-given responsibility to lead to your children. Best you take it back. This decision is more important than buying a house. It's where you're going to grow eternally for the purposes and plans of God. I'm not saying you shouldn't look for where your kids are really unhappy and choose, but Hear God and make a decision. You want your children to grow up? You want, they got to be planted. My sons are planted in a church that I planted that are no longer leading. You know how hard it is to be in the church you planted? I'm planted in the house of God, a local church that I planted and I'm no longer leading it. It's not easy. But I've seen my sons grow up in God. I'm growing up because we planted, not floating around to the church, planted in the house. Are you there, guys? We don't preach enough on this. If you do, it's control. No, it's God's way. Value. Your life is valued enough to say be planted in the local church. You cannot be connected to Jesus and separated from His church. There's no biblical scripture backing for that. Can I say every brick needs a wall for you Pink Floyd fans? Every priest needs a hood for you gangsters. Every sheep needs a pen for you, kiwis. <laughs> Every tree needs to be planted. Are you there? Yeah. Friends, if you... Are <laughs> I'm leaving. But this is not, while this is funny, it's no joke. Honestly, friends, we, we skip over this. And if we, if we hear about it, it's usually from a pastor and we feel like they're trying to control us. No, no, God's plan. You've got to be planted. You've got to be submitted and serving and coming to the house of God and flourishing in the house of God. Psalm 92 verse 12, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of God. They will still bear fruit in old age. 
and they will stay fresh and green. Why? Because they planted. You try to keep moving and uprooting flowers and plants. I don't know anything about that, but this I know. If you keep uprooting, they'll never grow. If you don't put the, seed, uh, the, the, the roots in, you'll never grow. And perhaps this evening, I don't know, most of you in this room, so I can speak ignorantly. If you're not planted, you'll never grow. If you wonder why you're not growing up, it's because you're not planted. Not do you attend a church, are you planted in a local church? Oh, control, no. Freedom, value, significance, centrality of Jesus. Now the pastors are coming alive because now, hey, come on, preach about a church. Well, here's how we get them in trouble. Next point, please. Sal, can you read that? Too many letters. I'll ask someone else. Great Commission. Heard of that? Oh, I hope you have. The Great Commission. Last words of Jesus. The most important words, perhaps, that Jesus spoke. When Jesus was raised from the dead, He called His disciples together. Now He's leaving them. He's going to heaven. He's leaving them with their mission, and He gives them this great commission. Can I suggest, if these are the last words of Jesus, surely they should be the first work we give our lives to. It's not some mission we go abroad to. It's something we give our lives to day in and day out. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. Our job as followers of Jesus is to make followers of Jesus. Where? Everywhere. Yes, Africa. Yes, Asia. But Sydney, Australia, when you get up for work tomorrow, where are you going? Our role is to disciple people, followers of Jesus, making followers of Jesus. And I love this because what it does, it takes my life and it links it to others in a place where I'm planted. But then it moves the, the house, the church, to get her eyes off herself. It's not about the church. It's not about how awesome we are. It's about the church focusing on this mission called the Great Commission. The only reason it's great is because it's commanded by a great king. Jesus makes the Great Commission great. That's the only reason it's a great commission, because it's Christ's great commission representing Christ the King. And so I, I, I know that people don't like this, and oh, it's all about me. No, no, it's about the King and His kingdom, and we've got to understand the great commission. Leo and I were chatting this afternoon, and he reminded me of that wonderful statement. I love David Livingston, and he said, if we were to be commissioned by an earthly king, we would consider it an absolute privilege. But to be commissioned, then why, when we're commissioned by a heavenly king, do we call it a sacrifice? Oh, the pressure of the commission from heaven. I'm just mad. I'm paying the price, the cost of actually being commissioned. I mean, friends, what is wrong with us? It's the greatest privilege on the planet, not given to a pastor or a preacher, to all of us. And so this takes our eyes off us and it begins to help us focus again. Can I, can I say again, the measure of a church, a great church in the kingdom, is not its seating capacity. It's the sending capacity. And I love these buildings. And we need to meet somewhere. And thank God tonight we have a building with all the rain. 
because that tree in Africa wouldn't work here tonight. But I, I, I mean, I travel and people want to show me their buildings. And the question is, how many does it seat? And wow, these are great seats. I've got friends who got, they got uh, um, air conditioners in the seats. I mean, this, uh, what a great church. But hang on. That's great. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, what about how much are you sending? Well, let me tell you, no one's going to leave that church if they get... I'm not mocking. I'm just saying we think, what a great church because of the building. Really? How much of our sending? How many people are actually being released? How many people are going? Get our eyes off ourselves and see the Great Commission. You know, friends, I believe that when the church ceases to be involved in His mission, I believe it betrays its trust. I think when any church loses their spirit of the Great Commission, it surrenders the very reason for its existence. And so I want to say the Great Commission is an incredible privilege. It's not a price. It's a privilege. So the good news is there's another context to this great truth of centrality of Jesus. The Great Commission is in the context of the gospel. The gospel. I'll put this here. The gospel. See that? Gospel. See that? The gospel. The gospel. You heard about that? Romans chapter 1, 16. What does Paul say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I wonder how many of us have become ashamed of this gospel, the good news. And can I suggest this gospel is good news? It's still good news. It's not bad news. It's not about making bad people good. It's about taking dead people and making them alive. It's good news. It's the message. It's still the power of God. And even in our culture and even in 2020, it doesn't need to be made more sexy to be more attractive. It doesn't need some lipstick and miniskirt so people like it. It is true. It saves all people. And let me tell you, as Leo said, we are working in over 100 nations, and I've been to some of those nations. And this gospel saving people under a tree in Africa, as well as under the Eiffel Tower in Paris, here in Sydney, Australia, Adelaide, the United States, Arizona, you name it, this gospel saves people of all culture. And while we need to maybe adjust so people understand, we don't change it to make it more attractive. It saved you. It saved me. It was good enough. It was the power of God for salvation for me. I was a deadbeat, loser, absolute sinner of note. And I heard the good news. And all I did was believe it. And it transformed my life. Why is it not going to do that to all the people out there? Of course it is. But somehow it's not that good news, and we better make it better, and people don't really understand it. So let, and we begin to change. Friends, it's the power of God for salvation. You know, Charles Spurgeon said it's the, well, let me just say about the gospel. There's two things about the gospel I want to highlight. Number one, it's to be told to the world. Charles Spurgeon said it's the whole business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. Not for the evangelists, the whole business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. 
You know, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. So it needs to be told to the world, this gospel. But secondly, it needs to be taught to the church. Do you know, it's not just some good news for people out there. When you read through Scripture, you understand the gospel is real. It's the way of life. Go read Galatians 1 and Galatians chapter 4. It's the way of life. It's not just a message. It's a lifestyle. It's a regulator for right relationships. I mean, just look around in this room. We are different. And guess who made us like that? Not the devil, even though we think it was. God made us different. And then God puts people together who are different. Ages, cultures, upbringings, other countries, real Aussies, want to be Aussies, trying to be Aussies, and all the, And God puts us all together with absolute different history, upbringings, understandings, language barrier. And He puts us together and He says, work together. How many of you know it's impossible? It is impossible. Just look around. How do we get together? I want to tell you what works it out is understanding the regulator for right relationships is the gospel. I want to work my stuff out with every person in this room and make sure we carry no issues because my issues can hinder the progress of the gospel. I don't think the church believes that because we allow petty things. Oh, that pastor didn't greet me today. I'm feeling really offended and hurt. Get over it. That person I don't like doesn't matter. God loves them and He put them with you. So work it out because the gospel's got to get out. I'm carrying offense because I haven't been recognized. Work it out. You're hindering the gospel getting out. You know, friends, believe it or not, I've been hurt by people too. Lots of people. Good people. Preachers. People on my team. People who split NCMI, left NCMI. People left our church. It's painful. And you know what's happened? God's tested me on this so many times because suddenly some person gets a revelation and phones me and says, hey, I want to say sorry. I'm like, great. And then they say, not only do I want to say sorry, after they've written a blog about me and you can't delete blogs that are paid. Are you there? Don't go read them because you give airplay to them. But they're everywhere about me. They don't even know me. But they've written this blog about anti-me and anti-NCMI, and everybody's retweeting and all. And here's the thing. They phone me and say, gee, I was wrong. I'm like, yeah, you were wrong. They say, I'm sorry. I'm like, I forgive you. And they say, by the way, is there any way we can come back in? And by the way, can we plant a church within you guys? Now, you know, I want to say no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Go delete everything. Phone the whole world and tell them you're wrong. <laughs> No, I'm serious. This is real, guys. It's easy to preach and easy to amen. Live this. God tests me on this all the time. And I want to tell you the only reason I can welcome people back is because I understand the need that together we're stronger for the gospel to get out to the people out there. If we're not involved in the gospel, we see the issues with each other all the time. Why would we hang out? Why would we be together? Why would churches be in partnership with NCMI? We average people. Look at us. I've got holes in my jeans. It's because I've been praying for you this evening. Why would we be with you? It makes no sense. God puts us together because the gospel needs to get to the world together in our cities and in the regions. Paul said, I thank God for this koinonia, this partnership we have. Philippians chapter 1. In the gospel. Not in a ministry. Not in a team. In the gospel. 
And so I want to tell you, it helps our relationships. We get over ourselves in local churches when we teach. It's the regulator for right relationships. And let me tell you, the church needs some help in relationships. It also reveals the standard for Christian living. Philippians 1.27, Paul says, Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. He's talking to who? Christians. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Yeah? So the gospel's vital. still important, but the gospel has a context. I'm nearly done. Are you with me? Nearly finished. The gospel has a context for the kingdom. Heard about that? The kingdom. So the gospel is not just some good news we walk around. Actually, when you look at what Jesus preached, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. The, ki- the, the gospel has a context. It's not just this message we throw out. It's actually the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is so important, friends. And I talked a little bit about that yesterday if you were here. But I want to tell you, it's not focused on the church. We focused on the kingdom. Jesus is building the kingdom. He's advancing his kingdom. Our job is to advance the kingdom, not to build our thing. We have a kingdom perspective. And I said the other day that I don't believe the church is the kingdom. And I know people get offended. But I've seen the church being shaken all the time. According to the Bible, the kingdom cannot be shaken. I believe the church is in the kingdom and the kingdom is in the church, but the church is not the kingdom. Because if the church is the kingdom, then your pastor is the king. And we don't need another king other than Jesus. So this gospel is in the context of the kingdom of God, the kingdom. You know, we used to ask my dad times, I mean, again, I keep referencing my dad, but I... My dad used to lead this team. He started with a whole bunch of other guys 40 years ago, and it's been amazing. And, and I'm overwhelmed leading this thing. I mean, I haven't got a clue. I love Jesus, and I'm doing my utmost. But you travel the world, and you see regions and places, and you're like, how, God? How are we going to do this, Lord? And I've often said to my dad, Dad, how? How are we going to? Everywhere I go, I feel like Nicole hates traveling with me because every city I land in, I'm like, geez, we need to plant a church here, baby. They need another church. And she's like, Tyron, seriously, you can't go everywhere. Because I just am overwhelmed by the need and the, the reality of New Testament churches need to be everywhere. We're keeping people free, liberating, raising up people and releasing them into their call. Not holding on and becoming religious. And so I phoned my dad. I'm like, Dad, talk to me. How are we going to do this? And this is my dad always used to say, dad, Tyrant, all things big and small, the kingdom first. All things, big and small, the kingdom first. Seek first the kingdom. The kingdom of God is just so important, friends. And so the gospel has this context of the kingdom. Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added. Matthew 16, I will build my church and I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. I believe that means we get to administrate the kingdom of God here on earth. God's entrusted you and I, not pastors, the church, to administrate His kingdom, His rule and reign here on earth. Would you trust you with your kingdom, His kingdom? But He says, I trust you, and I'm asking you to administrate, advance my rule and reign here on earth. Friends, this gives everyone an ability to be involved. 
This is not about serving a pastor or a church or even a people. It's about serving a king in his kingdom. And this kingdom cannot be shaken. It will never end. It gives us value and it gives us worth. Business people have a role to play in the kingdom of God. Through the church, in the church, but for the king and his kingdom. I love that. The church, I believe, is the agency through which his kingdom comes. And here's what I want to say. We need a kingdom-shaped view of the church, not a church-shaped view of the kingdom. We need to see the church through the view of kingdom, the kingdom, not the kingdom through the view of our church. Because whenever we look at it through the view of the church, we make the church more important. The kingdom is what matters, and we need a church shaped for you. You know, there are two kingdoms in conflict. I don't want to get into all this. I just want to tell you, if you're church-focused, we can get along with all cultures, all religions. Every road leads to heaven. Doesn't that just sound amazing? I mean, imagine if that were true. Then Jesus made some big mistakes giving his life. If there's many ways to the Father. I mean, it just sounds awesome, but it's not true. And the only way we can not lose our way is if we get kingdom focused. If you church focus, every religion, every group, just hang up on the side and we all can get along. Why don't we all just get along? Because we are kingdoms in conflict. There's only two kingdoms. There's God's kingdom, the kingdom of light, and then everything else is the kingdom of darkness. And let me tell you, they don't line up side by side and pick which one. They are in conflict. can't get along these kingdoms. Why? Because darkness and light. So we get along with anyone and everyone. And I'm not saying let's go fight. Just know there's a battle blazing because we kingdom focused. It's different, different. Light and darkness. We can't coexist. If we church focus, we can. If we kingdom focus, we can't. And a church without kingdom vision eventually becomes selfish and self-serving. And one of the amazing things about the kingdom of God is only in the kingdom, when you raise your white flag in surrender, that's the place you find victory. Now, everywhere else, in the whole, anything you're involved in, you raise your white flag in surrender, that is defeat right there. But only in the kingdom of God, when you raise that flag in surrender, that's where you find victory. That's why we can't fight this. We need to surrender regularly, come to the place of surrender. Friends, you'll never find victory till you keep surrendering. It's not a one-off. Daily surrender. I surrender. Daily, the Bible. Paul, we die daily. We surrender. And as we lay down that flag, we pick up the victory that belongs to the Lord. So there's a lot of talk about the kingdom, which is awesome. But you know, the kingdom is in the context of the greatest truth of all. And here it is. And you'll notice it's bigger. We did that not because we ran out of chairs, because we're trying to make a point here. The kingdom, the kingdom is in context, not of us, but of the king. In all things, he'll have supremacy, first place. This king is what this all matters about. This is what it's all about. And so I want to just maybe land with this and say, my life in God's economy, as God looks, He sees us as important, as valuable, 
Regardless of how you got to where you are, God cares, God loves you, Jesus would have come just for you. In saying that, he sees our lives in the context of the local church. But the context of the local church is in the context of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is in the context of the gospel. The gospel is in the context of the kingdom, and the kingdom is in the context of a king. So maybe I can put it like this. Actually, maybe someone, oh no, no, right. <coughs> this is how we land it. Bring that please, Joel. Thank you. Actually, actually, thanks. We're talking about the centrality of Christ. This is what I land you here with. King. This is how we to live our lives. This is how I understand centrality of Christ. My life is in the context of a king. Now think about that. No longer I that live. I live for someone, Jesus Christ. You know, friends, when I live with the context of a king, my life, I'm a better husband to my wife. I'm a better father to my sons. I'm a better friend to my friends. I'm a better leader to people when I live with the context of a king. And we've got to come back to the centrality. My life is in the context of a king. Can I also suggest then the local church is in the context of the king. Pastors, leaders, that church is not your church. Those people belong to the king. We lead them with him in mind. We talk to them about him, not about us. We don't tell the church how awesome we are. We're preparing the church for, her, for him. We tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. What would the king have us tell his people? The Great Commission. The local church is in the context. The Great Commission in the context of the king. You see that? How powerful that is? The gospel is in the context of the king. The kingdom is in the context of the king. Don't leave, Leo. Come and play. Friends, uh, Leon, come play. Where are you going? Don't go. Does he have to go through your secret entrance? The king, the king, in all things, in all things, he'll have supremacy, first place, first place in everything. You know, friends, if Jesus is truly king, then we're seeking, we're seeking the, we're seeking the guidance of the king. If Jesus is king, we're seeking the governing of our king. It's not this individual lifestyle, me and Jesus. No, Jesus is governing my life. He speaks to me where I go. He speaks to me who I marry if I'm not married. He's, yeah, thank you. He speaks to Honestly, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, if he's really your king, please hear this, then every decision you make is a spiritual decision. Somehow we, 
there's Jesus, there's my life, there's ministry, there's church, there's life, there's family, there's work. And we compartmentalize and we pick and choose what we decide. No, no, if he's king, then you ask him on everything. We go to the king before we go to our pastors or our friends or we go to the king. Because he governs our lives. And if Jesus is king, then we seek the glory of the king. We don't take glory. We don't take praise from man. We look for the glory of God and we want to give glory to Jesus. Let's close our eyes for a moment, please. That in all things, He will be preeminent, supreme, first place. In this room, I guarantee that most of us love one of these. Whatever your gifting or your heart is, guest kingdom or my life or the church. Or, and let me tell you, none of these find their way. None of these are enough. They're distractions if they're not linked to the revelation of Jesus Christ. They have no significance if it's not linked to Jesus around the King and the kingdom. So don't get busy with some of these. Let's get busy with the feet of Jesus, being overwhelmed by the revelation of Christ. Our Christology determines our missiology. And our missiology determines our ecclesiology. Let's just take a moment and where we at, not get all inward, but there's a response. We all got to respond to God. If you're living in these, then carry on, but ask God for greater revelation. But if you've made one of these or some of these the focus, would you come back with me this evening and say, Lord, you're the king of it all. want to surrender this evening to this King. We want to give our lives afresh. We come to that place tonight. We want greater revelation of you that in all things, you're not an add-on, you're not a tag-on. You are worthy of it all. It's all about you. It's all for you. And we've said that and we've declared that, but we want to live in that day and night. Would you help us come to that place? Our dignity is wrapped up in our revelation of you. When we know you, we know who we are. We find our worth in you, Christ. We don't want to work for you. We want to work with you. We want to know you, Jesus. We don't want to know you as a friend. We want to serve you and honor you as a king, the king of kings. So we just humble ourselves before our King this evening. Give you all the praise. We, we lay our lives at your feet. We lay our ministries. We lay our families, our ambitions, our churches, our desires. Say you're worthy. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy, Jesus. It's about you. It's not about us. It's about you. Come to that place. We want to be in a place where you are truly first place in everything. You don't have a place. You have first place. 
to that place of surrender so we can find victory again. I want to live in the big picture of what you're doing. I want to live with you and for you. I want to represent you on this planet. I want people to see you in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.